How many of you have ever found yourself just feeling, I'm too busy? Can I see your hands? How many of you have literally not just thought it, but felt it? Like, this is ridiculous. Me too. There's a reason why God says, be still. And know that I am God. Because when we're going too fast, it is very easy to miss the things that God cares about. For me, I remember even as a busy executive, like Martin, you see airports inside, outside, and you're just going to somebody else's drumbeat. God calls us as Christians to run to the sound of a different beat. And one of the things that helps me stop dead, and one of the highlights of my trip was going to the little children's home where there were perhaps 30 little babies who were abandoned and orphaned and to hold those in my arms. That is something that touches the heart of God, what those women are doing. And the churches that are helping support it. In fact, my daughter, a missionary, says, Dad, I want to help so much. I'm going to pay for another staff member so that the babies don't have to be alone so much. As a missionary. And what struck me was those who have so little can do so much. And sometimes me, us in the Western culture, have so much. And yet, we do so little. So today, we're going to slow down. And we're going to look at something which is extremely important to the heart of God and Jesus. And I want to ask on your outline three questions. Firstly, what is God doing on this earth? Not what IBM or Microsoft or Google are doing or Apple. And how is God doing that? And then thirdly, how can I be a part of what God is doing? See, many times we're very interested in getting in on the S&P 500 index funds to be along with what the world's doing. But I wonder how long and how often do we think about what is God doing and how can I be in on what ultimately is going to count. So firstly, what is God doing on earth? The Bible tells us, and we sang about it today, that God is building a kingdom. And it is a very major theme of Jesus' teaching. Actually, the word kingdom is mentioned, I did a quick search in my computer software, 157 times in the New Testament. That's important. If something comes up 157 times, when was the last time you looked at the kingdom of God? Many of Jesus' parables are about the kingdom of God. Why is that? Because it is utmost and foremost in his mind. He's not doing some side trip. He's about the kingdom of God and the advancement of the kingdom of God. And if he is all about the advancement of the kingdom of God, should I be concerned about this? Should I be helping out on that? Should I be on the team? Or should I be off doing my own deal? 
I just want to say 157 times. The kingdom of God is very upfront and foremost in his mind. You're very familiar with the verses. For example, in Matthew 6.33, what does that say? Seek second the kingdom of God after my job. Seek second the kingdom of God after my family. Actually, no, no. Jesus says, if you leave your family for my sake, if you leave houses and land and businesses, let's not mince around here. Jesus' kingdom is priority numero uno. So what does that mean? What is the kingdom of God? Grant read the scripture. Thank you, Grant. From first, from Ephesians 1, 9 and 10. And he said this. God's secret plan has now been revealed to you and I, to us. It is the plan that is centered, not sidelined, centered on Christ. It is Christ. Be careful about getting seduced about always just talking in general terms about God. Focus on Christ. The reason why is God can mean an awful lot of things to Muslims, to Mormons, to Jehovah's Witnesses. It's not the same God. It is not the same God. Basic laws of identity. They have different attributes, different God. It is the plan centered on Christ, designed long ago according to his, and I love this, his good pleasure. He loves this. This is what he's designed. And this is his plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ. Everything in heaven and on earth. Now circle under the authority of Christ. God's plan for history is right there. That he's going to bring everything together under the authority of Jesus Christ. Now the moment you're a believer and you step across that line and you trust in Christ as your saviour, to save you from your sin, and you, listen to this, you follow God's plan for your life, the moment you do that, you become part of the kingdom of God. Now, where is the kingdom? The kingdom of God is wherever Jesus is. If Jesus Christ is king in your life, the kingdom of God is within you. It is not a political kingdom. Never will be a political kingdom. It is not a cultural kingdom. Let me be real clear about this. God made all cultures, but Christ always trumps culture. He's above all of it. It's not a national kingdom. These things come and these things go. But the kingdom of God is going to outlast every government. It's going to outlast every country and national organization. That's why Jesus was so focused on this. When the disciples tried to get Jesus to become a political leader, he said, you guys are not getting this. You are not getting it, guys. He said in John 18, my kingdom is not of this world. He said, that's not my kind of kingdom, guys. The Bible tells us that history is moving in a direction towards a climax with the coming of the kingdom of God. And by the way, that is a millennial reign. Time for another story on that one later. The Bible says in, in Matthew 20, 14, the good news about God's kingdom will be preached in all the world. Circle the word all. It is an important word. I'll come back to that. 
And then the end will come. What is, you mathematicians, what is the implication? For the end to come, what's going to happen? Come on. For the end of the world to come, what is going to happen? What does that verse say? The good news is going to be preached in all the world. So, here's an implication. If you want Jesus to come back, you need to be part of preaching the gospel to all the world. That means here, at work, in the community, in New Zealand, and overseas. It's not either or. It's both and. People ask, when is Jesus going to come back? Tell me the signs. One of the most important signs that you can see from Scripture right there is that the good news is being preached to every single nation. Because the Bible says there will be tribes and tongues of every nation in heaven. Now if you want to speed up Christ's return, start sharing the gospel. One of the things I had the privilege of doing with Kimberly, actually my daughter, stitching me up for this, um, is she had me talking to 550 business leaders and pastors. Uh, but it's never, in Africa, things never go the way we think they're going to go. So I'm thinking I'm going to speak, you know, two or three times. Well, I end up speaking way more than I needed to, to people I had no clue. 150 women was one group. I'm like, what am I going to say to them? And I've got 10 minutes to think about it and speak for an hour and a half. That's Africa for you, right? Um, but we had some great leaders here. This next picture, this is PDN, which has started. This is amazing. Did you see that sponsor child that Kimberly showed you? This, the guy that started this and put all of this on started in a little project. They're called Projects in T-Fund, which is right next to a slum. You need to come with me next year and go and see a project like this, right next there. This guy saw his daddy murdered in that slum. He was picked up by the project. He was given another chance. He was given the ability to go to school, to have medical care, to learn about Jesus. He went through the school, became a top flight student, became an accountant, and then he was picked up by a man by the name of Wes Stafford. He used to head one of the great non-profits, taken to Moody Bible College and did his PhD over there. He is now here in Africa trying to help people get their numbers straight and get their spirituality straight and their doctrine straight. Yes, things that I care about. Financial integrity, moral integrity, and biblical integrity. I love that. He's putting this on there every year, and this is the, the, he's actually built a library, anyway, lots of good things. History as we know it is coming to a conclusion, and the kingdom of God is going to be set up. So, what is God doing? He's building a kingdom. How is he doing it? Point two, through people. God has chosen to use people to build his kingdom. And he has given you and me the privilege the exquisite privilege. In fact, Paul had the equivalent of multiple PhDs. And you know what he says? I count this as rubbish compared to the knowledge of knowing Jesus Christ. He's given, the, given us the privilege of being kingdom builders. So when you become a believer, you become a God's agent on this earth. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 3.9, we. Who's we? You. And me. And you. And you. And you, and you, and you, and you. We are all co-workers with God. 
We're not doing anything by ourselves, because of ourselves we can do nothing unless the Lord builds a house. They labor in vain. Now God says, I can be a co-worker with him in what he's doing in the world. The Bible says God made peace between us and himself. And God, look at this, God gave us the work of telling everybody about the peace that we can have with him. So we've been sent to speak for Christ. By the way, can I just squash a bug that irritates me? People quote, supposedly, firstly, wrongly, quote Francis of Assisi. He never said this. Well, preach the gospel and if necessary use words. He never said that. That is a lie of the enemy. Check it out. Jesus used words. He says here, we've been sent to speak about Christ and for him. We've been sent to speak. The moment you become a believer, you become an ambassador, an emissary, a missionary for Jesus. Now, you don't become a missionary by crossing the sea necessarily, but you become a missionary by seeing the cross as the all-sufficient reason for your life. And the only means by which you may be saved, because there is no other name under heaven or earth where a person may be saved. Now, one of the things that you can easily do is today, we've got the dinner. On the way to church today, I've been gone for a month, whilst this wonderful team have been jacking things up. I already teed somebody up on Friday, but just to make sure, I shut up his door at 8.30 this morning and said, Hey, Chris, here's your invite. Because if we don't do things like if we don't reach out to people, we don't make time, I think we're kidding ourselves. When you understand what Jesus Christ has done for you, and the incredible benefits that he brings to your life, you want to tell other people. Listen, when I see a good deal, I tell my whole now. I say, don't miss out on this. As my family mentioned here. The Bible says, though, listen to this. Jesus says... As you send me into this world, I am sending them into the world. Do you know that you're chosen to be sent? I know I mean that. Because Jesus means that. This is not some idea of mine. This is what Jesus said. As you, Father, sent me, Jesus, into the world, I also sent them into the world. He's sending us out. Now, we all have a desire to be part of something significant, not just get up, go to work, eat, we know we work to eat and then we eat to work and whatever all the rest of us. It's gonna be more than that. God has given us a great privilege to be co-workers with him in this eternal kingdom which will outlast every company, every relationship. There is nothing bigger or more significant than the kingdom of God. If you can think of something in the scriptures, you tell me about that. Write it on a communication card and say you've forgotten about this. There is nothing. It'll outlast every nation. It'll outlast the United States. It'll outlast accomplishments. The best accomplishment you can think of, this will be topped by a country mile, by the kingdom of God. That last sale that you thought was great at X million dollars, that's nothing. It's a pusillanimous amount. Not even, it's inconsequential. God says, and we get to be part of building his kingdom. God says he uses people to build his kingdom, even here in East Auckland. So then the question becomes, 
How can I be a part of this great, eternal, lasting enterprise? Number one. I need to, well actually before we get to number one, I can align my life. I need to align my life with what God is about in this world. Not going in the opposite direction. That's insanity. If you want your life to count, you need to become a kingdom builder. How do you do that? I'll tell you real simple. Firstly, an overall view, and then I'll drill into it. Number one, to make that reality, you need to make it your primary concern. Your primary concern. Jesus said this in Matthew 6.33. I alluded to it very shortly before. God will give you everything you need from day to day if you live for him and make the kingdom of God your primary purpose. Whoa. Challenge to the heart. Is the kingdom of God my primary purpose or third, fourth, fifth, or somewhere down that line? I'm not sure quite where, but it's certainly not number one. God says, if you do make a number one, I will take care of your needs as you make my priorities aligned to your priorities. If you make it your primary concern, I love the NCV version. It says the thing you should want most. And this is a challenge. The thing you should want most is God's kingdom. Oh. Is that true with you? Is it the thing you want most for God's kingdom to advance? May your kingdom come, your will be done. Not for most of us. Most of us, if we're really brutally honest, and sometimes it is good to be brutally honest, would say, actually, what I want most is economic security. What I want most is comfort. No drama, no hassle. What I want most is family relationships. What I want most is security or health. Some are being, if they're really being brutally honest, wealth. Or fame and on and on. But God says, those are secondary issues. Every last one of them. The temporal and you miss the point, he says. I made you for my kingdom and my purposes. I made you for more than trivial pursuits. I made you for a purpose. And if you put my kingdom number one, and you make it top priority, I'll take care of the other things. It should be more important than your happiness, than your comfort. More than important than anything else. So, getting down to the business end of this. How do you play your part in God's plan so that your life is used to advance God's kingdom on this earth? You do three things. Number one, to complete God's given mission, I must share with those in my world. There's no way around it. This guy named, well, this guy who after Jesus healed him was so boosted by that, he wanted to travel with Jesus wherever he went. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. I don't want you to do that. 
In fact, in Luke 8, he says this, go back home and tell people. Notice that? Tell. Tell people how much God has done for you. So that man went back all over town telling how much Jesus had done for him. Now, Jesus says the same thing to you and to I. You know where your mission starts? It starts at home with your neighbors, those ones that you've never talked to. The ones sitting right next door that you talk to once every blue moon. It starts in your own community. The Bible says it went all over town, and that's what God wants you to do. He wants you to talk to your friends. He wants you to talk to your family. He wants you to talk to your neighbors and your co-workers and the people that cross your path to share the good news with people. First, with those close to where you live. Close. And these people you see every day. You just have to be ready for them. I often think of some of our members who are hairdressers. They have captive audiences. (laughs) Right in front of them. To listen. To ask questions. Which point people. To one obvious implication. I know an eye doctor who has the four spiritual laws. You know, rather than OPJ. He's got them up the front of him. And he says, now read the first one. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Okay. (laughs) Now sometimes, let me be real with you, it takes persistence. There's a particular guy I've been talking to for nearly 40 years. But the opportunities are there. The Bible encourages in 1 Peter 3.5, this version is an interesting one, it says, be ready at all times to answer anyone who asks you to explain the hope that you have within you. Somebody needed to share with Greg Boyd. I bet you there are multiple people around him kicking their cells very hard right now. God wants you to be a witness. This is what God did for me in my life. You don't have to be a theologian, just a witness of what he's done. You can give him books, you can give him the Bible. A great one at my mum's celebration service, we gave everybody a copy of The Purpose Driven Life. You would not believe the number of people that we've had as feedback and conversations with people I've known for a long time because it's written in such a way that people it strikes a chord and points them to God have you ever wondered why God the moment you become a Christian doesn't just take you straight to be with him because down here it's a little messed up I don't know whether you've noticed especially in the rest of the world there are problems and there are trials and there are temptations and sin I'll tell you what there are only two things you cannot do when you go to heaven one of them is sin And the other one is tell people the good news. Guess which reason God left you here for? Which of those two do you think you're still alive for? And if somebody hadn't shared the good news with you, you know what? You'd be lost. I'd be lost. So God wants you, like a faithful baton passer, to pass the baton on. Look at the next verse. 2 Peter 3 9. God doesn't want anyone to be lost. No one. Does that include your neighbor? Yep. Does that include that person at work? Yep. But he wants all people to change their heart and live. God is not willing that any should perish. You know what? I often think as I'm sitting there in a traffic light seeing these people going backwards and forwards, thinking, you know, Jesus loved these people this much. 
that he gave his life for those. He died a cruel and agonizing death. That's how much he loves your relatives. That's how much he loves your workmates. God cares, here's the implication, so we should care. So when you don't ever share your faith, that's the other alternative, what you're really saying is, I'm in, I'm sorted, best of luck to you. See, God's children care about what the Father cares about. That's naturally because they're part of the family. And you know what God cares more about than anything else in the world? People. Your friends. Your neighbours. Is anybody coming today? Or maybe the next one because of you? Do they even get a chance? Do you take time out of your life to share even some love. So first I must share with those in my world, but that's not enough. It's not enough to just care about the people around you. Secondly, I must dare to reach out beyond my world. Beyond my world. See, love demands that I move out of my comfort zone, really comfortable, my rhythms, to be with different people of different backgrounds, sometimes even different languages. Different economics. Let me put it bluntly, and you may want to write this down. Comfort can be a hindrance to the gospel. You may want to write that down. Comfort can be a hindrance to the gospel. See, our mission has such eternal consequences, heaven and hell, that we must be willing to risk. Did you hear that word? Something else that we don't like. To risk to get the message out. Now today, if you or I had a cure for cancer, we would be shouting it in the streets. But we have been given something far better. The way, the only way to eternal life. And friends, it will be criminal to keep it secret. Somebody cared enough to tell you and I've got to care enough to tell other people. The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians 9. Whatever a person is like, I try to find common ground with him. When I'm talking to engineers, I have a certain mode because I know why the, the kind of way they think. They're very precise and measured. They're interested in design. So I love to talk about design. And we get from there to God. Whatever a person's like, I try to find common ground with him so that he will let me tell him about Christ and let him save him. So repeatedly in the Bible, we are told to reach out to others. Not to do so will be seeing the person drown and walk away. That is unconscionable. But I must dare to reach beyond my world. Look at this next verse. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Galatians 6.2. What is Christ's law? It is to love your neighbor as yourself. He says they carry each other's burdens. Friends, as Grant said, you don't necessarily have to leave East Auckland to do this. Within 20 minutes of this place, you will find needs that you would have never dreamt in your wildest dreams. My wife worked in these areas for five years. So God says our actions are proof, uh, uh, proof of our love. Another way to say that, 
is our love produces loving actions. Look at the next verse. Such as what? Religion that is pure, unadulterated, pristine, the bond, the standard, and undefiled before God without the taint of sin. Is this? Visit the orphans. And the widows in their affliction. Some say pain. One of the things that wrecked me a bit was at that little children's home. There's the babies, case number one. Case number two is the one that was dropped off there at three years old. And she knew that probably nobody's going to pick her up because she's too old. Visit them in their affliction and keep oneself unstained. What that really means there is the, from the lusts of this world. The lust of the eyes, the things that I don't have that I'm lusting after, or the pride of life, the things that I do have that I'm gloating about and self-certified and smug because I have these things. When you read about Jesus, he always encourages the underdog that society want to ignore. The powerless, the poor, the refugees, those who are imprisoned, the orphaned, the widowed, the mentally ill, the aged. Don't have time for them. Don't have time to visit them. The social outcasts, the sick, the lepers. That's what Jesus always had a heart for. And one day, you and I are going to stand before God and he's going to do an audit, a checkup on what we did with the time that we had on this planet. And he's going to judge if we really learned to love or was it all a bunch of talk. Did we really ever do anything? In fact, this irritated James so much, Jesus' brother said, faith without works is dead. Test yourself to see if you're actually in the faith. Did we show love or did we just say that we loved and did nothing? The Bible says that one day Jesus is going to separate people into two groups, the sheep and the goats. And he's going to say to one group, you know what? You may check this out in Matthew 25. You say, I was hungry. Hungry. We don't know what it's like to be hungry in this country. And, this is a good part, you noticed and you provided me some food. You fed me. I was thirsty. I saw this picture the other day. Do you want to pop one up? I was thirsty. Oh no, pictures my daughter took. And you noticed, you didn't say, I'm too busy with my new car, my business, the drama I've got with my wife or my rebellious teenagers. You noticed. And you did something about it. And you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. Woo! I think we've lost the art of hospitality. We're too busy. I was naked. And you 
noticed and you did something about it and you put some clothes on my little body. For the first time in a long time, I was warm. I was sick. And you noticed. And even though you couldn't come, you paid for a doctor that I could go a few shekels, 50 cents. And you did something. You cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Now notice something. These acts of mercy do not depend on significant wealth. Amazing ability or super intelligence. Not one of them. No special talent required. But Jesus does require one thing. Time. Time for you to stop and care. Kind of like the Good Samaritan, remember, when the others are too busy. Jesus wants our personal involvement in caring for others' needs. And you say, oh, man, I'm so maxed out. Look, I know a lot of people are. But the way to solve that, or one potential way to solve that, is if you can't go, you can't do something, you can support somebody who's doing a darn good job. There's no excuse for that. And if you want a ready package deal, I can't think of a better way than tear fund. I've been there. I've seen it. I've smelt it. I've checked the numbers. Talked to the CEO. Talked to some of the board members. I'm convinced. And they put the gospel first in there. Some other ones don't. So you can feed, and that's important. But they also need to have the bread of life. Don't separate the two if you don't have to. And if you go back and read the rest of the verse in Matthew 25, people can say, Lord, when did we do this? And he says, when you've done it to the least of these. Brothers and sisters, these little ones, the defenseless, the downtrodden, you have done it to me. When you give a cup of cold water to somebody who is thirsty, or here's another very basic way which may work for some of you families. A shoebox of toys. Next slide. Mm-hmm. Did it not get up there? That's the one. A shoebox of slides. Oh, slides, cheapest. A shoebox of toys and things that can go in there through Samaritan's purse. To a refugee who's never had anything, it is the world. It, you are the tangible hands and feet of Jesus to lift their little spirits. And again, one path is this, again, from this next picture. Is, is child sponsorship. This is Stevie, my oldest son, who turned 31 the other day, and he got to meet little Ronald. For the first three hours, he was so scared, he didn't say a thing. But afterwards, he, Stephen thought, hmm, I'll go out and get a soccer ball. And he went out, played the ball, the next minute, they were all best buds, doing handstands together. In the end, he was hanging on to his leg and he wouldn't let him go. All of my kids sponsor children. Mums and dads, grandparents, your kids will do what you do. Set a great example there. Food or clothing or shelter, this works. And mostly important to me is this next part. They, back out one. They hear about Jesus. Next one. This right hand side. Huh? Where'd it go? Back that way? Does it go back that way? We lost it. You know what I'm saying. They get to hear about Jesus. There's a little beautiful girl there in her simple faith 
Nothing is more precious. Who cares about Yeah, I've always got maintenance in my house. I've always got stuff to do. This matters. My house will be a bunch of particles. This will last. And what's really neat, what I saw in Richmond, is that he also got an opportunity to get some education, which was awesome. And Jesus said, if you, it's just like you did it for me when you did these things. You can do that. Don't proc- Please never say you didn't have an opportunity to do this. You do have opportunities, should you choose to. So that, ladies and gentlemen, is what Christianity is all about. It's about bringing hope and healing to broken, messed up lives and helping people. It's called love. Now, I'm not going to mislead you on this as we wrap this up. I am not going to mislead you. If you get involved in your God-given mission in this world, and that is your choice, but that's for you to answer to, not me. I'm only responsible for me. If you choose to do this, to get involved in your God-given mission in the world, it is going to cost you. Is that clear? Real clear. So I'm not sugarcoating this. It will break you out of your self-centeredness and your preoccupation with your current problems and issues and the comfortable things. And it is going to cost you time because you're going to allow a bit of headspace for this. It's going to cost you energy, effort, and money. It may even cost you a bit of privacy, but God has promised eternal rewards. Look at this next verse. Jesus replied, let me assure you that no one has ever given up anything for love of me and to tell the good news, that's, no, and that's the mission, who won't be given back, read it with me, a hundred times over. So God's saying, whatever you do for me is not in vain. Do not let the enemy talk to you and seduce you that what you do is not effective. But instead, it says, let us stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So we care because he cares. So this is going to take you to a new level of spiritual maturity because you're doing what he wants you to do. So one, I must share the worthies of the world. Two, I must dare to reach beyond my world. And three, I must care about the whole world. Matthew, excuse me, Mark 16, 15. Jesus said to his followers, go everywhere in the world and tell the good news to everyone. Matt, couldn't get clearer. Now I want you to notice a couple of things about that verse. Was Jesus talking to pastors there? No. Was he talking to missionaries there? No. He was talking to his normal followers. People like you and me. Normal followers. (laughs) I'll let you into a family secret. I have one set of twin brothers, Pat and Mike. Well, often mum would send us off, for example, to go to the Glen in the swimming pools because we do a lot of swimming training. And mum could never get home on time, so we'd take the bus. So we'd take the bus from Howick to Pamua. And then we had to walk from Pamua to Glenis after school. Well, that was fine for Pat and me, but my little brother Michael Buckley, oh boy, he did not like to walk. 
So we'd get off and walk for a while, and then you'd just stop, and you'd sit down on the pavement. <laughs> and you would move, and no matter much, cajoling, nothing. So in the end, I said to Pat, let's go, Pat, we'll leave him behind. So we kept on walking, and we'd go around the corner, and then we peep. Next minute, Mike pops up. <laughs> he was a recalcitrant follower. He was, he was a hesitant follower. He only, it was almost like being dragged along. Jesus doesn't want you to be following him like that. He wants you to follow him willingly. He says this, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Oh, not the CEO. If you are the CEO, that's your secondary identity. Your first one is you're a fisher of men. Do not be seduced by the world. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Now here's the point. If you're not fishing, you're not following He says to his followers, go everywhere because everybody deserves to hear the good news. Now that used to be very hard yards because there were three primary ways of getting around in those days. One, Mike would not like this first one, walk. (laughs) Two, a donkey. Or if you're rich, a camel. And the super rich could often, or sometimes scab a ride with the Romans on their ship. That used to be hard. Today the world has become smaller. And you can communicate to an entire world from your home. It's never been easier to fulfill your mission. Now you can actually do e-evangelism, if you get my drift. All right? It's never been easier. And the truth is, since you're here at New Hope, you're only hours away from an international missions project. I would like to hope that eventually 20% of you will come on some kind of a missions project. I'd love to see people go out in the mission field, serving. Another goal would be to have some career missionaries. I was talking to one of them that I grew up with yesterday. He's been in the field 40 years. How about you? Do you like to travel? Well, why don't you start this way? Travel on purpose, like Kimberly and I. What we try to do now is rather than just go and have a holiday, we travel on purpose, something to extend the kingdom of first. And then we take a break and have a holiday. So you have a holiday on purpose. It's not just for leisure's sake. There's some kingdom work and there's some leisure. Both are important. You really want to start living? Look at this last verse. I think it's the last verse. Here it is. It says, if you insist, no, nah, don't want that, on saving your life, just using it all up for your consumption, you will lose it. Only those who throw away their lives for my sake and for the sake of, here it is again, the good news, that's your mission, they will ever know what it means to really live. So fulfilling your mission is the secret to a fulfilled life. When you get to heaven, I want you to roll the clock forward a little bit. Is anyone going to say, thank you for telling me the good news? You knew it. You didn't keep it a secret. Thank you for sharing it so freely. And you passed it on. See, because this year, 28,000 Kiwis will die in the next 365 days. And most of them will go to an eternity without Jesus Christ. If we care, we must share. Lastly, a confronting question. What is more important than doing this? doing what God puts you on earth to do.
Little becomes much when you put it in the Master's hands. Let's pray. Matchless Father, loving God, thank you for the privilege of being part of your kingdom. Thank you for the privilege of being invited to be a co-worker with you in building that kingdom. And today, Lord, as we've read your words, we clearly see, even because you said it 157 times, your kingdom is super important. And I realize that nothing else will ever last for all of eternity. Would you please forgive me for allowing things of this world to distract me from what is most important? Father, I want my life to count, to be a kingdom builder. Please use me. I want you to use me to make a difference anytime, anywhere. Forgive me for taking your church for granted and your mission for granted. Forgive me for taking my Bible for granted. Forgive me for taking my freedom and my blessings for granted. Would you help me to love you and your church, the body of Christ, which is the only thing you're coming back for? Today I dedicate the rest of my life to serving you and being part of building your kingdom In your beautiful name we pray.